Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Hit Zero Show. Hope you guys have been staying safe. I know the weather has been crazy different. It just dropped off out of nowhere, at least here in Texas. Uh, but hope you guys are staying warm, staying healthy, and I know with everything that's still going on, I know a lot of places are in different situations with their training, with their choreography, with their competitions. I know there have been some virtual competitions that I've got to see some highlights from. It's been very, very cool. Uh, but it's great to connect with you guys again. And today we're going to be answering some submitted questions from you guys on our Instagram, uh, which is at the cheer doc and kind of like we used to do. It's really fun to get to answer your questions and be able to communicate with you guys directly about things that you're curious about that we can help you to, uh, to answer. So our first question is, is there such thing as overtraining and how often should athletes be strength and conditioning. Uh, this is a, a topic I'm really passionate about and something that I feel I have a lot different of a mindset than most coaches. And it's because I've seen a lot of different styles of strength and conditioning over the years and I've, I've seen our sport evolve a lot uh, over the last few years. And so the short answer, first of all, is I don't think there's such thing as overtraining. Uh, I do think that there is a big problem with not recovering enough. Uh, there are sports like CrossFit that a lot of people are familiar with that are a really good example of this overtraining versus under-recovering. And the reason I use CrossFit as an example is because when we look at CrossFit over the last 10 to 15 years, the evolution of the sport has been dramatic. Uh, both in the men's and the women's side. In fact, there are actually some really cool, uh, some th really cool things that have happened over the last few years where they've compared events at the highest level, which is the CrossFit Games. They compared events from 2008 and 2018. Uh, if you're not familiar with CrossFit, the very, very just shortest, briefest description I can give you for the CrossFit Games is that it is a test to see who is the quote-unquote fittest person on earth. Fittest man, fittest woman, teen, teams, uh, masters, etc. So their goal is to try to find who is the fittest, and that includes strength, endurance, gymnastics, balance, flexibility, all that stuff. Um, so what they do is they put these athletes through a, a list of workouts where they compete in these workouts against each other, and the combined best score over all of the events gives them the winner who would be considered the fittest. So you, if you're the strongest but not the fastest, that would work against you. If you're the fastest but not the strongest, that would work against you. But if you're good at both, then your score would be higher because your average of placing would be uh, higher overall. So very brief overview. Uh, but what they do a lot of times is they'll test athletes with workouts one year, and then a few years later, they'll do the same event for new athletes just to get an idea of, over that course of time, how much better are the athletes getting overall? How are they evolving? And what they found actually was from 2008 to 2018, they did a, a repeat of an event, and the woman that won in 2018 would have gotten second in the men's division in 2008. So within 10 years, there was a dramatic change in the capability of our athlete or of the CrossFit athletes in that very short period of time. 
And one of the biggest things that has evolved in the years over CrossFit, not only is their training, the training is definitely different now than it was then, but the biggest focus that I've seen over the last 10 years is the big push to recovery. If you follow CrossFit at all, um, you know, or any sport for that matter, a lot of, t of discussion has happened uh, over the years on recovery, better sleep, better nutrition, better hydration, stretching, doing mobility, foam rolling, cross ball, um, or lacrosse ball. Um, just there's been a big push to the recovery piece. Now these athletes are training way more than they were and they're working recovery way more than they were. And they're fully capable to handle those workloads as long as those two are matching. So how does that translate to cheer? So we come back to cheer and the question is, is there such thing as overtraining? Well, I believe that there isn't such thing as overtraining as long as your recovery is matching the needs of your training. Meaning, are you eating enough and eating quality enough? Are you sleeping enough? Which I know a lot of our athletes don't because they stay up late, they're scrolling on TikTok on their phone, they're not sleeping enough. Are you getting enough hydration? Are you drinking enough water? Are you uh, taking vitamins if you're vitamin deficient? Are you stretching properly? Are you mobilizing properly uh, using like a foam roller or a lacrosse ball? Now I have seen these things start to get implemented in gyms around the country, uh, especially in our own gym. I see athletes using foam rollers and lacrosse ball uh, and massage guns on a pretty regular basis. Nutrition, we're still working on. Um, which is another, again, huge passion of mine with uh, Hit Zero Nutrition, uh, the nutrition company that I started for cheer athletes. Um, but the short answer is, um, when it comes to strength and conditioning, the question was how often should we be conditioning? In an ideal world, we would want athletes to be able to condition on separate days outside of practice. Um, when you look at high-level athletics, we don't see the NBA um, play a game and do strength conditioning the same day. We don't see the NFL do the same thing uh, or any other big major sport for that matter. Um, they have dedicated practice days, they have dedicated strength conditioning days, and on days where they do overlap, usually the conditioning piece is less intense than it is on a standalone day. And the reason for that is, is simple. We just want to make sure that we're being efficient and that we're not pushing too much without allowing the recovery. If we don't have the ability to have conditioning days be separate from our practice days, then ideally we would want to condition specific to the needs of cheer. Now, conditioning a lot of times is, you know, not really the best. We tend to save it for the end. We'll just do 20 minutes of cardio, maybe some abs, maybe some running, uh, but we're really lacking in that department. And a lot of times it's not very specific to what we need to be able to improve in our cheerleading ability. Uh, if we think about our routine, it's two and a half minutes, it's a sprint. It's not long, slow, steady duration like a jog would be. It's more of like running around a track like twice. And if we train that style, that more explosive, fast, thinking like in the two to five minute range, we're gonna get a whole lot better response out of the athletes and their ability to perform than we would if we just had them do 30 minutes of slow, steady cardio. So if you have a time frame at the end of practice, let's say you have 20 minutes where you're gonna condition. Your athletes are gonna get much more out of doing, let's say like five minute block of things with a short rest, a five minute block, a short rest, and then a five minute block after that. Or working like 
two and a half minute sprints, take a two and a half minute break, two and a half minute sprint, two and a half minute break. And, I mean, and what I mean by sprint isn't like full sprinting. I mean like you're doing some sort of conditioning, whether it be push-ups or sit-ups or squats or whatever variation you come up with, but pushing harder and faster in that block than spreading it out over a long time. Um, I'm a big fan of weights. I feel like weights and resistance bands are underutilized in cheer. Uh, we tend to focus more on body weight and flexibility, which doesn't set our athletes up for not only the ability to perform ideally, but it doesn't prevent, it, it, cre it ends up creating an environment where injuries are much more, uh, much more uh, probable because our athletes are only used to moving body weight. And so when you're picking up a human that, let's say, weighs more than you or as much as you, then you're not going to be capable of handling that workload um, without some sort of previous uh, exposure to lifting. So I'm a big fan of weightlifting um, when taught properly for our sport. I know there's not a lot of resources out there. I've tried to create as much as I can. I'm constantly working on creating this content um, and teaching people how to implement weights into their training for cheer. Um, but strength conditioning for our sport is lacking, unfortunately. But if our coaches will take a little bit of effort into looking into things like that, um, you'll find that there are some resources out there. Uh, and all these, obviously, you know, I'm happy to share those resources um, with coaches as well. So uh, great question. And it's, it's an ongoing discussion. It's something that it's hard to answer um, in just one, you know, one little paragraph or one short uh, episode here. But um, continue to, to, to dial in your strength and conditioning. And, and again, if I could give a bullet point, I would say focus more on sprint, kind of short interval training, um, and add weights. Don't be scared of adding weights. Our second question comes from at backflip Barris. And his question was, how do we increase vertical jump height? This is something that is so important for cheer athletes. I think it gets overlooked uh, a lot, and I see it when I'm working with athletes on standing tucks. Uh, one of the most common issues you see in a standing tuck is a bend forward at the hips and then a whip back. So there's not a lot of jump. Uh, and, and that gets reinforced because no one makes that correction uh, or coaches tend to not push the importance of squatting more before you jump. I also see that a lot in co-ed stunting. Tend to see a guy will, you know, when our guys set up behind their top girl, they'll tend to hinge at the waist versus actually dropping down and squatting. And that decreases a lot of power. So by working on vertical jump height, you can improve tumbling. You can improve your jumps for sure and you can improve co-ed stunting. So my thoughts on increasing vertical jump height are you have to treat the vertical jump like a one rep max. Meaning, if I were to say, hey, go, go grab a barbell, put it on your back, and we're gonna squat and find what's the absolute maximum weight that you can safely lift, and that would be your one rep max. If I wanted you to do squats for conditioning, I would say, okay, we're gonna do body weight squats, or we're gonna do lightweight squats with the bar, and we're gonna do multiple repetitions. When we look at increasing vertical jump height, we have to look at it the same way. We can do jumping jacks or tuck jumps or uh, jumping up onto a box and off a box over and over again for conditioning, but to increase the height, we have to look at it as what is my, what's my record height that I can jump? What's my max height that I can jump? And then from there, we would train to increase that height. 
If we're looking to increase our vertical height, not the conditioning or the multiple repetitions, then we need to train for that height in a different way, meaning we would be training in a little bit lower rep scheme. So we're not looking at like 20 to 30 box jumps for conditioning on and off the box. We're going to be looking at, you know, anywhere from like three to six repetitions a set and looking to increase height of the box. Um, usually you can increase that height by adding like plates to it. Um, or if you have different size boxes, um, that's going to be a, an ideal situation. Uh, but what you can also do is you can use things like squats to help improve your vertical height. So getting stronger at squats, back squats or front squats by adding weight, like a barbell to your back or using kettlebells or uh, goblet squats, holding a weight in front of you. And getting overall stronger legs can definitely improve the height of your vertical jump. Working plyometric drills like single leg hops, jumping switch lunges, um, broad jumps are very, very good. Uh, working just standing tuck jumps, jumping as high, driving the knees as high as you can, can also be very helpful. Um, one of my favorite things to, to start to bring the legs into um, our stunting and our tumbling more and also work on our vertical jump height is to have athletes work, um, work jumps, uh, like tuck jumps or jumping onto a platform, but starting in a seated position beforehand. Um, so we'd have them sit, we'd have something they're either going to jump up onto or jump over that's in front of them. And then from that seated position, they would rock forward and then explode up. So it's, it's priming them to start the jump in a lower starting point than if we were just standing upright and then we try to jump and take off from there. Um, so as far as the style of training, if you're trying to increase your vertical jump height, think about it again as like a one rep max that you're trying to work through. Lower reps, thinking the three to six reps a set with a good amount of rest between each. Um, also working on just raw strength with your squat and working plyometric type drills uh, jumping switch lunges, side to side lunge, or side to side hops, um, jumping from low to high platforms, uh, and just working on explosive power uh, on your jumps will definitely help to increase your vertical height. And make sure you have like check it, like see what you can do after you've worked for a couple of weeks with uh, with a with a plan. Retest. Always make sure you're retesting because without the retest, we don't know if we're actually getting higher. And the last question comes from M. Shea, 44, and her question was, how do I work on strength building or building muscle to prevent injury with hyperextended joints? Now, hyperextended joints, a lot of times, aren't an issue unless we're talking about aesthetics. So if we think about like a girl, we've all seen an athlete that'll have like a high V, but her elbows are hyperextended, so it kind of looks abnormal. It looks like her arms aren't straight. Aside from that, there's really not a lot of issue with hyperextended joints um, in, in most sports. Now, there are some conditions like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome where we have laxity of ligaments, and that can create some issues with safety of joints. But again, that's more of a genetic condition that is an outlier. But when we look at athletes with hyperextended joints, the hyperextended joint itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. Where we have issues is if we don't have the strength to control that range of motion. So when we think about a joint, if we have a joint that can go, you know, kind of all the way straight and all the way back, 
and that's our range of motion. If I have full control over that range of motion by using my muscles and being strong enough to do that, then I'll never have an issue. And the same can be said for the most part for joints that are a little bit more extended. As long as we have the strength to control that full range of motion, then typically we're not gonna have a problem. Uh, and it kind of works back the other way. When we think about athletes that aren't flexible enough and we try to work on extending the flexibility. So let's say if my hamstrings are really tight and I wanna work on getting hamstring flexibility that's increased. I don't wanna just have more flexible hamstrings I want to be able to use my hamstrings in a better way with the increased flexibility. Because if my hamstrings are tight and I need to stretch them, it's because the tightness of the hamstring is causing a problem for me that I need to resolve. Usually it's a movement problem. So it's not the tight hamstrings themselves that are creating my issue, it's the, or, or that is the issue, it's that they're the cause and the issue is what I'm trying to resolve. So if I can't move well because my hamstrings are tight, getting better hamstrings and then being able to control them in that movement that I need is gonna be the most ideal. Because if I have the flexibility, but I have no control over it, it doesn't make sense to have any more range of motion, if that makes sense. So when we work on flexibility, kind of looking the other direction from this hyper, uh, hyperextended joints, we need control. So then we say, okay, with our hyperextended joints, it's the same way. I have the flexibility already or the range of motion already. I just need to make sure that I can control it. So I need to have the strength. So if we're working on controlling hyperextended joints, our best, our best bet is going to be to work strength training. And that can be strength training really of any sort. It can be with resistance bands or dumbbells or kettlebells or barbells. It can be with body weight as well. Um, but just getting full range of motion strength is going to be our best option for controlling um, hyperextended joints. And so our question was, how do I build muscle to control that? Eat enough, you have to have enough calories in to build muscle. We can't build muscle if we're not eating enough food and strength train. Get bands, get weights, whatever the case may be, and work dedicated strength training to improve your strength and range of motion. So we can use full range of motion and partial range of motion to build more control or more strength in a particular area. So if I were working on improving the hyperextension in my elbow, I can work full range of motion strength and also partial range of motion, meaning I could have a weight and I'm just working through the middle section of that range of motion. And again, we want to make sure that we're not doing just partial range because we don't want to set ourselves up for injury, but adding partial range of motion to our full range of motion strength training can be extremely beneficial for athletes with hyperextended joints. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. I know it's been a while since we've done a Q&A and I, I really miss them. They're a lot of fun getting to answer your questions um, and connect with you guys to help issues that you're currently dealing with. Again, I hope you're staying safe through uh, the continuation of this craziness that our world is, is going through. I uh, hope your routines are going well. If you've already gotten a choreography, I hope that you're staying safe in the gym and that you're feeling like there's some sense of normalcy um, back to our crazy world. I appreciate you guys joining me and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode. Take care.